On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about politicians misbehaving. Shocker. We are talking about a guy who lost a leg in an accident and then did something amazing with it. We'll explain that one. And we're going to talk music because the sales of music in last year dropped through the floor. What are musicians doing and what does this say about the future of the industry? Oh, and headlines, the worst headlines that have been written ever. We'll talk about a bunch of them. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Most of us, well, maybe not most of us. There's a poll out that says only about half of us followed the rules when it came to Christmas gatherings and not getting together with people. And we'll get into that because it is difficult to blast people when you are not following the rules yourself. However, I do find it difficult and I do find it disconcerting and I do find it frustrating when the people who are making the rules don't follow the rules. I do find it difficult when dad says, don't eat the ice cream, it's bad for you. And then you come downstairs when you're a kid and there's dad plowing away at the ice cream, right? It's, there is a sense that, you know, it's not right when anyone breaks the rules. It's worse when the people who make the rules break the rules. At least it seems that way to me. And that's what we're seeing these days. We're hearing about politician after politician after politician who left the country or went to be with friends or whatever else. And I, I'm sorry, my frustration level with this is uh, my frustration level with people who broke the rules period is high with them higher. I want to bring in Stephen LaDrew. He is a political commentator, former president of the Liberal Party of Canada, now the host of Three Minute Interviews, which you can find on YouTube, which are fantastic. Uh, Stephen, thanks for doing this today. My pleasure, Scott. Good to chat with you. Uh, Stephen, look, uh, as I said, I, I I'm frustrated with anybody that decided they were just not going to follow the rules because we're in a time when, you know, you kind of have to, I think. But the politicians in particular who feel that they're worthy of making rules but don't feel they're obligated to follow those rules really particularly rankle me. Well, why would it rankle you? Well, I understand why it would rankle you and, and a number of your listeners. It rankles me. But Canadians love that. We have a history of loving hypocrisy. Look at Trudeau. He was re-elected in the last election. And he, remember the, the, the blackface? And he was just so anti-that until he got caught. Oh, oh well, yeah, well, that was when I was young. Remember, uh, I mean, he ruined men's lives. I know MPs who he kicked out of the caucus on unfounded allegations for politics, sexual harassment. And when he's accused of sexual harassment by a reporter... Well, she must have interpreted things differently. I mean, we love hypocrites. <laughs> and I, I suppose, them. So I suppose we do. Get reelected. I suppose we do. What the politicians, I guess, who got caught traveling should have said it. This is a learning moment for all of us and we all must do better and let's get back to our life. That, that I guess covers the, uh, but no, I mean, look, it, it's, I, I get that. I, and I get that we love to talk about it and I get, we love to be steamed about it and everything else. But as I said in the intro, it's one thing, and I'm not excusing it, it's one thing if people break the rules and go and visit their family when you're not supposed to, while other people are dutifully following the rules. Yeah. But to me, Stephen, it's another, if you're one of the ones who's telling people, you must do this for the betterment of our country, to keep everyone safe, to help our healthcare workers, blah, 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 and then you go and ignore your own advice, that's, that is exactly, to me, how you breed cynicism and make people, it's the boy who cried wolf. The next time they tell you to do yeah. something, well, why am I going to listen? 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm sure a lot of your listeners agree with you, but obviously the majority of Canadians do not because they like hypocrites. But in the case of our former Minister of Finance, that is a different case. And, and I agree that people in public life make mistakes, and they should not lose their skin because of it. And it's a, it's a question of judgment. If someone goes to visit, um, you know, a, a sick aunt or whoever it was for the Alberta chief of staff in Great Britain, um, I think people should cut them a little slack. I mean, goodness, we have 50,000 people coming into Pearson in Toronto every day, in and out. Um, but in the case of the Minister of Finance in Ontario, it was different. The reason is different, and I know him, and he's a you know he's generally a smart person. But that was deception. He had he and his staff had a plan of videos to release throughout his whole trip, and that one on Christmas Eve, sitting in front of his fireplace with his eggnog, saying, "Boy, it's a different Christmas Eve for us here in Canada." While he's in St. Barts, was egregious, and it's a lesson. It's got you know this lesson, and we've talked about this before. Every minister needs someone on their staff who's going to say. Hey, buddy, give your head a shake because this is crazy. And no one on his staff said anything about it. And I think it was terrible. It was not just hypocrisy, it was deception. But there's another case of deception that has gone by the wayside because the premier, under questioning Scott, said, Yeah, I knew he was down there. The premier didn't say anything about it until there was a public uproar. And now the premier is scot free on it. You and, and we, we had to take a break in a second here, but you, you said, and you've been around politics, uh, in, up close involved in politics. Yeah. Do you think that most politicians have someone today who would stand up to them? Because the politician, you, you get to, you stand up to that politician who's your boss too much and they find someone else to do the job. Well, if I, I hear you, I mean, I stood up to the prime minister of Canada and I have the scars down my back as does my family. <laughs> I was following the rules, but you know what you need for your own peace of mind and your own your own success you need someone's going to sit there and say you know listen you're not the big shot that all the bureaucrats say you are let's give this a second look and if someone had done that with phillips he wouldn't have made that terrible terrible web of deception it was unbelievable well or probably wouldn't have probably we like to think that some with some good advice he might not have but who knows anyway let me take a break we're going to come back Well, you know, who knows? As I say, we, who knows what lurks in the heart of men always, Stephen? I think that was the uh, the old shadow, the, the real radio show. But uh, hey, let's take a quick break. And women, break and come, have to say women. Too. And women. Oh, yes, and women. Yes, yes. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You said off the top, and I agree with you, that we do seem to like hypocrites, and many of us are hypocrites, for the record. I didn't go out and see my family this Christmas. So one, this is one time when I can say, I, you know, I didn't break the rules. I can pre, I can speak on the side of the angry here. I suppose that, uh, that I am, my heart is pure in this one, but if you are someone who broke the rules, it does seem to me though, that you don't have the capacity to be too angry at the politicians for doing the same thing, which I'm wondering if that is partially why we're seeing apologies and people maybe stepping down from committees or something, but we're not seeing a raft of politicians resign. Phillips did, but from his cabinet position, not entirely. Is it, are they not resigning because so many other people did the same thing and they simply can't be too angry? Well, Scott, I think that's a a, a part of it. And as you and I, both know there's 
many factors go into a decision. Um, and I hinted at this in our first segment. I think that there may have been some leadership politics at play when Phillips um, was fired. And the premier said, well, he, I accepted his resignation. When Phillips was interviewed at the airport arising that morning, he had no intention of resigning. He was, uh, it was quite clear from him that he was going to apologize and want to stay on as Minister of Finance. So he got the boot. Why he got the boot? Part of it to deflect from the Premier, who knew he'd been away for two weeks and did nothing about it. Maybe there's some leadership politics in there. The Premier's not that popular anymore, and Phillips was very popular. Maybe you want to sort of beat down somebody who may be posing a threat to you. I don't know. There's all kinds of factors at play, but politicians... Once they're in, in, in elected politics, you can resign from your cabinet position, but you're not going to resi- resign from your seat because there's another day to be uh, played out in politics. But I think that it's a, it's a messy business, and, and I think a lot of Canadians also should realize, or I think are realizing, Scott, that there are so many rules out there now. There's so many bureaucrats trying to dictate our lives that if somebody screws up, well, you know what? We're all screwing up. And I know, I know you and I, Scott, are beyond reproach. But many of your listeners had someone over for Christmas or New Year's. Well, sure, sure. Visit who was not in the bubble. Sure, and I think that you're right. I mean, we, we're all fine with the hypocrisy, but, you know, there is a point, I think, even for people who are being hypocritical, they do realize, you know, it's pretty hard for me to be too angry at this and demand too much. I mean, it's not like a sex scandal or something where you can look and say, hey, that's not me at all. I'm offended yeah. by it. If you've yeah. done it, it's hard to get too much rage. Now, you mentioned leadership. Let me switch tack a little bit to slightly different topic, but to a leadership thing with your favorite politician. Um the prime minister in the last few days has, yeah, okay. no. <laughs> the prime minister in the past few days has t- has uh, retweeted a government tweet about uh, out- expressing outrage about a terrorist attack in Niger and he's tweeted condolences to the family and fans of legendary hockey coach uh, John Muckler who died the other day yesterday yeah. and he's tweeted best wishes to Haitians on their independence day yeah. and he has tweet, uh, tweeted sympathy for those caught in the earthquake in Croatia but a lot of people are pointing out he has tweeted nothing or made no comment about the police officer in Calgary who was run down and killed, the guy from Hagersville, Andrew Harnett. Um, the, what, what's going on? Because this seems like an easy one. A police officer is killed in the line of duty. It's almost rote that leaders will come out and say, we, you know, we decry this, we're sympathetic, we prayers and wishes and all the rest for their family. Why would he not? Because he doesn't feel that. And he didn't... But you do it anyway. No, but he You do it anyway. No, no, well, you do it anyway if you have good advisors. But the Prime Minister doesn't feel that way. He'll take a knee for anybody uh, for a cause, but for an officer killed in the line of duty, eh, you know, he doesn't naturally feel that way, obviously, or he would have said something. And his whole staff um, didn't... Nobody said, you know, we should do something about this uh, because nothing happened. And, uh, but but there's so much pointed out are true. 
but there's so much more than, I mean, yes, it's the, so, okay, if you're going to argue that it's politics about the defund the police or something, and now that the liberal party, if, if that's their position, which I don't think they've taken officially, but you've also got this whole thing with the West, like ha, you, you're, you're throwing more gas on a fire that's already raging out of control out there by now ignoring, because a, a lot of people have said, I'm not the first, if this was a cop in Quebec, they find it very hard to believe there would not have been a tweet. Now, I don't know if that's fair or not. But that's the posi- that's the perception people have. So you've and got I this West that's, thing. That's that's a fair perception. That perception is founded in reality. And you look at uh, I was speaking to somebody in Saskatchewan yesterday, and you look at the misery that people in Saskatchewan and Alberta are suffering as a direct result of the policies of Justin Trudeau's government, and he is uh, he is blind to it. And his minister, well, he doesn't have any ministers from there anymore, but they're blind to it as well. But and, this is so um, easy. This is such an easy one. It's a simple tweet that says, our sympathies go to the family of Andrew Harnett. And, yeah. uh, oh, you know, it. like, it, I, and now it looks like they've, it, you're at the point where you can't because you've gone so long that anything would look like you're just responding to pressure. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, to me, this one's just a head scratcher. But, well, don't scratch too much because it is <laughs> something that, Scott, it's just something that is inherent in this prime minister and the PMO and the very weak cabinet that they have. There's no one saying, hey, you know, we got to do something about this because they're all, you know, beholden to the prime minister for the jobs. They have no independence. They have no brains on this thing. And um, it's a shame. You said that someone had to speak up. Yeah, you said someone had to speak up to the politician and say no or give advice, and maybe that's the case here, whether that's happening or not. Uh, Stephen, we got to run. I wish we could talk a lot longer, but I always appreciate you coming on. Thanks for taking time today. It's always a great pleasure to chat with you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I don't want to give a long intro to this next segment because I want to spend as much time as I possibly can with my guests because this is truly one of the more unbelievable, remarkable, fascinating talking point stories I have come across in a long, long, long time. And I don't want to belittle or, or make fun in any way of what happened. Um, but taking my cue from him, uh, let me just say this, that, um, my next guest has one of the most incredible paperweights ever. Um, it's his own leg. Uh, Let me bring him in and he will explain. Justin Fernandez joins us now. Justin, how are you today? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Listen, I appreciate you coming and doing this because I read this story and I said, I got to find him and bring him on because this is, I've never heard of anything like this before. I don't know if anyone else has ever heard of anything like this before. Um, but before we get to the, what, let's go back to your accident. You had an accident back in, was it July? Yeah, it was end of July. Okay. Tell, tell what happened. Uh, I was hit by a motorcycle crossing the street. In and, Toronto. Uh, in in Mississauga. In Mississauga, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and it, it just it clipped my leg, and um, took it right off below the knee. Did you like crazy question? Because you know, very few of us will have ever been through something like that. Did you know what was happening at the time? Did you recognize how bad it was at the time? Uh, I mean, you go into like instant shock, right? So your body's in a very lucid state. Um, I thought I was, you know, honestly dreaming. But yeah, you're in shock. You don't really know what's going on. So, so you were you or were you not then aware of how badly you were injured at that time? Oh, I I knew that something was incredibly wrong. I didn't know to the extent of my injuries, 
but I knew like I had I seen you know the, the blood and everything and I, I I couldn't stand right I knew I knew something was was very very wrong. Okay, and so immediately you're rushed to the hospital and you're there for how long while they try to save the leg or did they try to save the leg? They did. They did try okay. to save the leg. Uh, it just didn't work out. Okay. And, and you're there I for was, how long? I was there. Um, I was in the hospital for about two months total, but uh, you know, everything happened within the first, you know, three days, all the, all the major surgeries and, and whatnot. Okay. And then at some point, um, was the leg amputated while you were, before you were aware of what was happening or did you have a final say of some kind in that decision? My leg was already gone. Like, okay. It was clean off. Um, so they had to just clean me up and then I amputated just a little bit higher up, uh, just above the knee. Um, that was the best, uh, route, I guess that was recommended, uh, for, for my future with my prosthetics, uh, it, it was just a, a helpful um, something that was going to prove beneficial in the future. Okay, so, so you, you've got the. I mean, it's a horrible, it's a horrible situation. I and nobody can. I don't think any anybody could imagine this. You somehow, though, um, as I understand it, had the presence of mind to ask to see your leg. Is that correct? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? They had it on the table. So they had it on the table beside me because they were looking at it and, you know, inspecting it and seeing what can be done to try and get it attached because that was the, the first plan. Um, so I, I knew that it was on this table. And it, when I was, you know, uh, in my in and outs of consciousness, I asked one of the, the doctors there uh, if I could have a peek at it. And um, somehow they, they actually let me take a look at it. And when you do, is it a moment of um, uh, shock or disgust or horror or emotional cleansing? Or like what, what goes through your mind when you're looking at your own leg in someone else's arms? It's very surreal. It's a very surreal feeling. It takes, it takes a while for it all to really click and, you know, for you to realize, hey, that's, that's my leg, you know, not just, you know, some some part that some doctor's holding, that's actually part of me. Are, are you, um, are you good with blood and stuff like that? Could you, or, or are you looking at it freaked out by what you're seeing or is it very calm? I'm, I'm the type of person who, um, passes out if I have to take out a little bit of blood. <laughs> <laughs> not Not ideal then. No, no, luckily I was heavily medicated. So that helped a little bit. So but, yeah, okay. no, I'm not good with that kind of stuff. <laughs> so at what point then in this whole process, does it cross your mind that perhaps I'd like to keep this leg somehow, as opposed to having it, uh, I guess they cremate them or incinerate usually limbs that are amputated or body parts, uh, you know, human waste or whatever. Uh, at what, how did you come to the idea or where did it come from to say, Hey, you know, I think I'd like to keep it. I mean, the typical process is, is, yeah, they incinerate it, right? So when I inquired, I was like, hey, what are you guys going to do with that? Um, and, and I found out, I was like, I don't, I don't really want to do it like that. You know, I'm not, I wasn't really ready to, to, to let go, I guess, at the time. And um, I just, I was thinking of what else I could do with it that, um, you know. There aren't a lot of options. No, there aren't too many <laughs> options, right? But <laughs> it, it it just, I don't know, I didn't feel right for me to, to incinerate it. And I 
didn't really want to bury it. At first, at first, I liked the idea, but then as I started thinking about it, I, I, I wasn't too, too fond of it. I wanted to do something a little more uh, personal to me. And like I said, I wasn't ready to get, to just get rid of it yet. Right. So I didn't, why not bury it though? Why not just bury it? I didn't want to send it off. I don't know. I, it was something, something about it. I I didn't want to, I felt, it felt weird to, to just bury a part of me and, and not, not be, you know, together completely. You know, there's certain religions where you have to be buried whole. That's true. That's true. I, I read somewhere, and I don't know if you said this or if this was something that the writer added to it, but that there was a thought that um, at some point someone could stumble upon this burial site and think that they'd stumble on a crime scene if they found just one leg. <laughs> yeah. So I, the initial thought was maybe I'm gonna I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna go bury it at you know one of my favorite uh, spots somewhere like a, a park or, or a forest or something. Um, and then I just thought of the legality behind it. And I, I was like, maybe that's not such a good idea. I don't want to start a whole criminal investigation because someone found a foot, right? Or the police pull you over and there's a leg in the backseat. Now they would have probably been able to put two and two together since you've only got <laughs> one leg at yeah. this point, hopefully. But anyway, you're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML. Justin, at a certain point you did ask if you could have the leg did you have a plan at that point of what you wanted to do with it or was it just to not bury it or had you even thought it through at that point? I, I was still very early in this, in this thinking through process. Um, I had just realized that that wasn't how I wanted to grieve my leg. I didn't, I didn't want to bury it. I didn't want to have it incinerated. Um, I had discovered this gentleman in uh, Edmonton who had had a similar process done with his arm. And I just was like, wow, that's beautiful. That is such a, such Okay. So before thing. we get to him, yeah, before we yeah, get to him, yeah. you did call around to try and find someone who would, when I say a taxidermist, uh, just so people understand, we're not talking about, you know, like a deer head or something where you're stuffing the leg to like, make it look like a, a fleshy leg. You're talking about the bones and getting them made into something, but you call a bunch of taxidermists. What's the response when you call a taxidermist to say, I would like you to work with a human leg. Not very positive. (laughs) (laughs) Like across the board, one after the other, same thing. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of a flat out nose. (laughs) Did people think you were joking? Any of them? Some of them them thought I was actually like a prank call. Um, They didn't take me seriously at all. Yeah. (laughs) Makes sense. Kind of. I mean, it's probably the first time they've ever had a call like that. Um, so you finally hear about this guy who's in Alberta, who has done something like this before. And is he a taxidermist? Does he work? I mean, like, like does he work with dinosaur bones or like what, what's his, what's his background? I honestly do not remember the story. I think he lost his, his arm in like a work related incident. And, uh, maybe he just went through a similar thought process where he didn't, he didn't want to have it buried. He didn't want to have it incinerated. He wanted to keep it or to display it. Right. So you, you get in touch with someone who is willing to do this for you. It's, it's, first of all, I understand it was going to be expensive. They decided to not charge you, which was an incredible thing. But, um, what do you tell them? What, what, like, do you give them any details of what you're looking for? Or do you just say, are my leg is going to be sent to you, do something appropriate with it? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't Weird conversation, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it was a weird one to have on the phone for sure. 
um, yeah, I, w- I wasn't sure. I, I had encountered these these folks at, at the Prehistoria, um, the museum, and they said, you know, we'd love to work with you and, and figure something out. And, um, you know, uh, I didn't really want to have it uh, your typical taxidermy like you would with them you know, a moose or a bear. I didn't want to right. keep my leg whole. Um, I kind That'd of like gross, the idea. Honestly. Sorry. Yeah. That would be gross to be, tr- oh, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, a little bit. Yeah. Not, not the best display piece. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it really, I mean, yeah, it would have been disconcerting for a lot of people. So they come for up, sure. did they come up with the idea or you then of the bones? I, I was kind of a joint idea. We decided it's probably best to do it this way and not, you know, the, the other way, uh, this will be a little bit more sanitary and will, uh, be a little more future proof as well. Be able to last a little bit longer. So what they did, and people can go online and see the photos of this, they have, yeah. uh, and again, I'll use the example. I mean, almost like a museum piece with dinosaur bones. They have, they have built this, well, not built it. They've, they've per- preserved the, the skeletal part of your lower leg, including your foot now on a base, um, when it comes back to you or when they first hand it to you, is it odd to be holding your own skeletal leg? Very strange. Very strange. Uh, still the surreal feeling like I, I was experiencing in the hospital. Um, it's hard to connect that to you. You know, once it's off of you, it, you know, it's yours, but it, it, it it's a very strange feeling. Yeah, like I'm looking at the picture of you holding it with the people who helped put it all together. And I, like, I, I would just be staring at it over and over trying to put the pieces, well, pardon the pun, I'm not trying to, but like to look at it and go, can, to connect that with with me, that that's mine. It, it, it seems really odd. What about other people? You, I mean, other people, friends and family, they must now know, they must have seen it. Are people spooked or freaked out by it? Or does everybody want to come and look at, look at it and hold it and, you know, examine it? At first, the response was uh, not very <laughs> well received um, <laughs> when I had pitched the idea. But, you know, ever since uh, it came out right in time for Christmas, it made a really cool story. Um, it's received a lot of a lot of support and a, a lot of just positive response. Um, and then I think now that everyone's seeing how, how you know, it is a, a really unique unique gift and, and how much it means to me, actually, um, they're starting to be quite okay with it. I think an awful lot of people, yeah, I think an awful lot of people just now, hopefully not an awful lot of people lose limbs, but I mean, it happens. And, um, I think you're, I think you may have started something here. I think a number of people now are going to think, you know what, why, why not do something like this? And I mean, it's so unique. It's so interesting. Well, by the way, we got to go, but where is it? Where do you keep it? (laughs) Right now it's just, just, just hanging out in my room. It was more about the journey than, than the destination. I wanted it so bad. I got it. And now I don't even know what to do with it. <laughs> well, um, you know, th- there are many options. I, I just hope no one ever tries to break into your house. Uh, because they'll just, they'll run screaming if they ever come across that one. That, that yeah. would be the deterrent. You don't need an alarm system, just a, you know, a, my own skeletalized leg. And when they come in and see, anyway, it, look, it's an amazing story. I, I can't believe you had the presence of mind to do it, but it's a, it's an unbelievable story. And I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk about it today. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. Thank you. It's been good chatting. That is uh, Justin Fernandez. You can read about him online. You can go and look at the pictures. It's in the New York post. It's in the Toronto star. It's all over the place. This story. Um, I would have never thought to do that, but good for him. 
And it is now a really, really cool thing that I imagine no one else has ever done to hold the skeleton of their own leg. And take a look. It's, it's, it's the picture, if nothing else, is take, worth taking a look at. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in Eric first. Eric is, uh, he is a guy who has a long career in the music business. He's a music writer. He's been nominated for six Canadian music awards, I think as publicist of the year in music. He's, have you actually won 16 Juno awards, Eric? Is that what I read? I have actually for not necessarily for me. My mom likes to go around and say that I won all these Grammy awards and Juno awards, but it, I haven't. It's for working with the artists that, uh, that won them. So don't even. No, 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 no. I think you inspired them to those victories and therefore you are the winner of 16 Juno awards. Well, Let's here, go with here's that. What really happened. I asked to find 11,900 votes and <laughs> we, we found them under the couch. Um, I do have to say for all intensive purposes, for the 25 years that I have seven days a week, 18 hours a day, worked in this industry, surrounded by musicians, listened to music, read about music. I have no idea what the answer is to your question. <laughs> well, I failed you know, music it's... class and here we are. Here we are. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I think I would have got this one even if I had not looked it up. I think I would have remembered this one. Um having taken music theory, even in high school, I, at least I hope I would have, this is one I think I, I hope I would have got, but anyway, we'll, we'll get to that at the end of the show. Uh, you, okay. You've been in music forever. Let me ask you this. The numbers, uh, Nielsen came out with its music sales. And, uh, so numbers for 2020 for the end of the year in music. And I found these numbers shocking, Eric. I found these shocking total album sales down 33.8% for the year. CD sales down 48.4%. This is across Canada. Digital albums down 18.5%. Digital tracks down 259 We're talking about sales here. Vinyl LPs down 12.9%. Across the board, everything, the bottom, the floor just fell out from under music sales. On-demand audio streams plus 16.1%. Um before we get to that, because there's a clear delineation there, I would have thought quarantine and lockdown would have been a time that the music industry and those selling records and even just digital downloads would have, it would have been a boon for them that people have time to listen to music and download music. I'm, I'm, I'm not shocked it's down. I'm shocked it's plunged like this. Yeah. It's interesting. If you were to look at those numbers in any other countries outside of Canada, the only number that would that would be so different is that vinyl records are through the roof in America, in the UK, in Italy, in France, in Germany, and Japan. For some reason, Canadians did not buy as much vinyl records. In fact, the last two weeks of 2020 were the two single biggest weeks of SoundScan history when it came to vinyl sales. I think a large part of it is that there's, you know, thanks to online retailers, they never really sell out. But I also think that because pop music has overtaken rock for, or really it's, it's hip hop and rap music slash pop, took over rock music a, a couple of years ago as the most listened to style of music. Um, what we're finding is that people are listening to a lot of music, but they're listening to the same music over and over again. So when somebody like Drake puts out a 25 song album, there's really only, you know, 
seven or eight songs that might be listened to three months down the road. So the album itself or the EP itself, people don't need to own them anymore. You know, you're, we're dealing with a new generation of eight to 15 year olds that are literally growing up knowing they don't need to buy a car thanks to Uber. They don't need to rent an apartment ever thanks to, you know, um, all, you know, all of these mom and dad. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Mom and dad. Um, They don't need to own anything. Thanks to Spotify and Pandora and stations like yours who stream online. So the ability um, to actually have something to hold like you and I did, isn't even a thought process in their mind. You know, they're not listening to, I mean, without painting them all with a thick brush, um, you know, they just released in the U S the the top 20 streamed artists of 20 of last year drake had 5.8 billion streams a large part of that is of course the regular stuff like spotify and youtube and 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 the rest of it so much of it was tiktok and Mm. that's a site and a platform that maybe a lot of adults don't know but really they're only listening to 15 seconds 20 seconds of that song but they're listening to it over and over again. So the way that music is being consumed, it's no wonder that songs are getting 15, 20 seconds shorter on average. You know, what I find so stunning about that is when I have a song that's bouncing around in my head, an earworm, and it's only one or two lines of the song that's stuck there, so it keeps going on a loop, like uh, an in-your-head TikTok, it drives me insane. So the idea of intentionally going out and just listening to 15 seconds seems like it would be something that would drive you cuckoo. Oh, here's one better for you. I know that you're a big fan of radio. Um, A a number of years ago, there was a a station in Edmonton. And from time to time, these stations do this just to kind of mess with everybody's head. On New Year's, uh, on on April Fool's, they announced that they're flipping formats. And the station in Edmonton was going to be called Chorus FM. And they were only going to play the chorus of the song. So within the first seven hours, I think they played 16,000 songs, but only the chorus, because the program director was quoted, you know, quoted as saying as nobody really wants the rest of the song anyway, people want the chorus. And how we all laughed at that, No, not even knowing six years later, that's exactly what is happening to this up and coming generation of not just music lovers, but book lovers and, 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 you know, consumers of entertainment, you know, it's rare when a two and a half hour movie to that specific demographic comes out because they know that, no, they're probably not watching all of it at once, but maybe they'll only handle 75 minutes of something. So you're going to see, you know, entertainment start to change that as well. But you just reminded me of that one radio station. I remember when it came out, it was like, this actually is not that dumb of an idea. Well, I go back to the numbers here and I mean, look, CD sales and LP and vinyl LPs. I mean, again, if people aren't out shopping, maybe that's got something to do with that, but just sticking with the stuff that you have accessible digital tracks in Canada last year in 2020 down 25.9% on demand audio streams up 16.1%, 96, almost 97 billion trillion, billion, 96 billion streams overall in Canada. This to me announces rather loudly that Apple music and Spotify and Pandora and the other ones aren't 
an option now. They are the option for a lot of people. Yeah. As you've said. You know, and thanks to sites like Netflix um, and, and the Movie Network and all the way back in the in the 80s and 90s with those movie streaming services that that allowed us to get used to this idea of paying yep. one price per month and you can consume as much as you want to your heart's content um, because that's how it starts. And look, Canada, it, 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 we're always a little bit behind with the rest of the world. We're one of the last places to get an iPhone in all the stores. There are still a lot of places in this country that don't have, um, you know, high speed internet. Um, part of one, one of the reasons that I was thinking of that, you know, why vinyl records were down compared to say America you know, I kept seeing on the news all the malls that were open, all the places in America that just defied the stay-at-home isolation rule, and maybe some of those places were record stores. Maybe, maybe. some of those places were Walmart and, and those kind of places that sold, as opposed to in Canada, where we were pretty good little children throughout the <laughs> year, when you really think about it. Um, and so maybe there were just less places that were available for us to shop at. Um but, you know, when it came to music consumption, I think we were we were pretty much right there per capita. But, you know, uh, which is amazing and, and a blessing because now I tell artists, you know, whether they're independent and first starting out or superstar artists, like your competition is not Bruce Springsteen or the Beatles anymore. Your competition is that brand new miniseries that's on Netflix. Like, you know, yeah. Yeah. And funny about Netflix, I'll, I'll say Eric, funny about Netflix. Yeah. And one of the things that just speaks, uh, it speaks volumes about something. Um, it, it, now because of Netflix or Disney plus or crave or prime or whatever, um, it seems almost like it's too much effort to put a DVD into the DVD player and have to press play. We just like, how lazy have we become that putting a DVD into the slot is too much work at this point. We just want it to be right there where we just have to sit and press a button. I have anyway, total little side note. Um, but, but getting back to your idea of talking to the musicians, th- this I would think is kind of terrifying for an awful lot of musicians because um, yeah, if you're Drake or if you're one of these, you know, top 20 people that has a ton of streams, yeah, it's fine. You can still make a living. But when you have to get thousands and thousands and thousands of streams just to make a few bucks, if you're not them, you're in your, I mean, I guess what you would normally say is, well, you can make your money on the concert tour. Uh, but you can't have concerts now. What do you do if you're a musician? You can't sell albums and you can't have a concert. Where do you make your living? You you cross your fingers and hope that you that your hit goes viral on TikTok or somewhere else. You know, right now artists are getting paid zero point zero 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 four cents per stream. That means that for every million streams, the rights holders make four thousand dollars. That's not just the artist. Those are the publishers, the record labels, the managers, the lawyers, everybody that's connected to their team gets a percentage of the pie. That means at the minimum, you have to get almost 24 million streams on Spotify to even break the poverty line in Canada. Now, far be it for me to, like, you know, have everybody want to cry over an art form. But the fact is, though, that a lot of these artists, when they first starting out, like you, like me, we did it for the love of this. And maybe we got paid a little bit in the beginning. But the better that you got or the more that you stuck with it, 
the more money that you would expect to get. But unfortunately, that's not the case of any of the art form. Just because you last long doesn't mean that you get any good at it. But what we're finding is the exact same thing. Only the great are actually making a ton of money. But that's the dirty little secret of the music industry anyway. The artists were really never really making that much money except for the top 2 or 3% of it. The contracts were so horrible that the record labels were certainly making all the money. Just like, you know... A Tom Cruise makes all the money, but the rest of the actors sometimes don't. Um, yeah, but in yeah. music, it's 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 getting to be pretty scary out there because a lot of artists are they, you know, the thing about the isolation. I think that's a lot that's that's pretty freaky for teenagers. Is that every day is the same, and in an era and in a time in their lives where it's not supposed to be. You're supposed to be learning. You're supposed to be dealing with other people and getting older and getting wiser and the rest of that stuff. With music it's, it's and musicians, they're kind of in the same boat. They're just looking at the next seven months of absolutely no touring whatsoever, no weekend gigs to pick up 50 bucks or $100 here and there. They're looking at potentially 2022 to play any shows, and that's a big problem. That means that a lot of artists are just going to give up and do whatever they can in order to right. survive. And how many great artists that we put into our category of superstars, how many of those, if when they were starting out, if they couldn't tour, if they couldn't get any attention, would have just thrown in the towel. We may never have heard about, I'm just going to throw names out. I have no, I'm not, but we may never have heard about Bruce Springsteen or Billy Joel or any, you know, I mean, we don't know. Yeah. We don't know who we would never have heard about because they would have said, I can't afford to continue doing this. I got to find something else and I'm going to go work in a warehouse. Yeah, this country was very, very kind to those people who can play coast to coast. If you can get in a van with your with your buddies and here's a quarter and call me if anything happens, um, but don't come back for three months until you know you've earned your fan base one by yeah. one and you Rush. play to those really crap. Yeah, the tragically hip, you know. Yeah, um, Sloan, um, Arkells now. Everybody has played to their bartender and a dog, you know. Um, and that's gone. Um, that will, and that may never ever come back. I can't really look, and I'm, and uh, you know, I, I'm a pretty big optimist. Uh, there, there might not be another time for at least years until I feel comfortable going to another arena show with twenty thousand people in it. I just don't. Um, but I, I think that there's probably a lot of artists out there that do what they can on a face on Facebook. They do what they can on Instagram spreading the word, but they know that if they don't play pop music or rap or hip hop and have that demographic on TikTok or that younger demographic that doesn't care if you can play live or not. And that's not a bad thing. There's always all sorts of musical genres that were amazing that you didn't need to play live. Disco, you didn't need to play live. Punk music, you didn't need to play live. But after a while, artists like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and and all of these artists in the 90s and 2000s, they got great because they practiced in front yep, of people. Yep, yep. And that may not be the case anymore. We got a couple more minutes. And, and let me go back to something you just were explaining then about the, the streams and everything else. So you sent me a list. We were talking this afternoon when I was getting you to come on today. And you sent me a list of the big name artists who are coming out with albums this year. But based on as you just described how the, and and the numbers we're going through album sales have tanked, but streaming is up and you have to have certain number of streams to make any money. Why are the artists bothering in 2021 releasing albums? Why not just write a song 
and throw it up online and let it live until you've got your next song ready to go up. Why are you, why are we even bothering to collect them into a collection now, as opposed to just making it a constant drip, 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 drip? Yeah, there's still there's still a little bit of an artistic ego quality to an album for a lot of these artists that are going to be putting out albums this year. Whether you know potentially Adele releases a new one, Lord loves the album concept even though that you know she's not even hitting 30 years old kid the taylor swift of the world they still love the storytelling aspect of it financially it makes a lot of sense too because you get paid every single time that that stream of a song gets played so your hardcore fans if they listen to the album a couple hundred times that's cha-ching rather than those same group of people only listening to one song. The other reason is that I think that these artists that are going to be releasing an album like Drake or Cardi B or, um, uh, you know, uh, those kind of artists, I think they're looking for 2022 to tour. And they, they just get really comfortable with the idea that they're going to be touring an album rather than a collection of five or six songs, even though that I think at the end of the day, I think people are going to be so hard up and so suffering from live music that I think that we're just going to go see anything that comes our way. <laughs> I may, I may decide to go back into the music business and just in time, even if I suck just to go, you know, just because people want to see something, I'll, I'll go out and I'll play a ukulele and sing off key. And you know, who knows, maybe a few people just diehards who need to get out of the house. will come and pay a, a cover. I, I doubt it, but you know, it's yeah, worth something. You, you know, I tweeted this morning that I miss live music so much. I would pay to go see, the high school band that I was in. We were garbage, but that's how much I'm missing live music right now. Uh, I think a 98% of high school bands fall into that category. We all, we all have stories. Uh, Eric Alper, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this today. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. We'll talk soon. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.